Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 23, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're going to start off once again in our player development profile with Pat Malloy, player development and skills and skating coach. Pat, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about another client of yours in Nick Paul. Now, we briefly, you know, touched his name a little bit when we talked about last year in some player development segments, but I really wanted to really give a, a bigger profile of him as a player from your perspective of having the opportunity to work with him in a player development capacity, because I think he's a perfect example to not only to young scouts, but also in player development of understanding when players really begin to take that step, forget the outliers, forget that 5%. We're talking about the middle of the pack players that are going to end up playing those middle six roles in the NHL. And I think Nick Paul's a perfect example because he really started to hit his stride at 24. Can you talk about his player development path and him, you know, really gaining prominence once he got traded from Ottawa to Tampa Bay? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think with a player like Nick, obviously he was part of the Jason Spezza trade. And so, you know, maybe unfairly being attached to at that time, which was a, you know, a pretty big name in Jason Spezza, you know, expectations are through the roof, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, with Nick, he's a, he's a larger body, he's a large player. Um, and it's taken him some time to really figure out what, you know, type of player he can and, and has become in the National Hockey League. And so, you know, those pressures when you're young, I think we, we all know that, um, you know, development happens at your, at your own individual pace. And with Nick, it's, it's, you know, the one thing that they, they say you can't teach big and he's a large, large body, long reach, um, strong, you know, a very, very naturally strong player. And so him starting to realize his strengths, but then weaponizing his size in terms of gameplay and in a really fast game and recognizing skating the game establishing body position, doing all the things that, you know, help you win long-term in terms of that heavy hockey brand that's required to really go the distance when, you know, sort of pursuing a Stanley cup. And, you know, I think you're just, you know, obviously recently signs what a seven year deal uh, to stay in Tampa. And, you know, obviously they don't make a habit of being wrong about their evaluations of players. And so, you know, with, with Nick, it's, it's certainly been a journey, but he's a great example that, um, you know, you don't need to be a finished product at 19 years old, you know, in order to be effective at National Hockey League level. Pat, I never saw him too often uh, when he was a junior, when he was developing, but I did see him at the World Championships uh, when he played for Team Canada, and he was really good there. Like, some of the games, my, my first thought was, why is he not more at the NHL level at times? And uh, my question for you it goes back to, is, is this one of those situations where – the player doesn't just realize how good he could be at times. And, and th- I'm talking about mostly before he blossomed, got this contract, had an amazing, I'll never forget his performance against Toronto in the playoffs. Sorry, Leafs fans. Uh, you know, it's one of those situations where I just, I just feel like he has so many dominant physical traits, as you mentioned. So how, how do you as go through that process with him at a younger age and say, Hey, you have so much untapped potential. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, right? Because, you know, coming into um, a situation, sometimes it really becomes a beauties in the eye of the beholder concept. And, and sometimes organizations don't necessarily realize what they had. And I think, you know, auto obviously figured out what they had. And I don't know whether it was a, a money thing or a commitment to time thing in terms of contract, but he really developed into someone that, you know, all of a sudden was pushing and doing things and taking up minutes that, that, you know, drove his value up and opportunity, I think was a big thing with Nick as well. The more opportunity he got, the more he started to fill in, um, you know, and, and be able to, to, to blossom his game. And so, um, you know, he's a guy that never really stopped working at it, which was interesting. He was always a guy that would seek more. And, you know, it was interesting talking to him here last summer, I guess. Um, and just listening to him or, you know, post post trade from Ottawa to Tampa and, and just about some of the different approaches and the sort of the proactiveness that Tampa had taken with giving him access to developmental um, tools, skating and, and skill and, and all those sorts of things. And, and what a vast difference it was going, you know, from Ottawa to a Tampa and that, you know, every resource was available for him. And, and he certainly was a guy that recognized, you know, staying on top of his skating, staying on top of his small area skills, um, you know, plays between checks, doing different things. And, and it was interesting to get his perspective from a player perspective. Um, you know, as to the differences from one organization to the other, you know, obviously I think Tampa's known for, for being really forward thinking and, and bought into the development process. Whereas in Ottawa, you know, there's maybe factors that limited um, exposure to that type of stuff specifically in season. So, um, you know, I, I would say for him too, just being a student of the game and, and continuing to try to get better and not sort of being satisfied with, um, you know, smaller line minutes and, and really trying to push and take on more responsibility. And that opportunity, I think, really opened up his game. Do you think having a well-defined role made it easier for him because he knew exactly what he was supposed to do? And then within that role, then you can begin to look at the nuances and the context of what I need to do to be really effective in that role of what they're asking me to do. Because then you can ask specific questions with your, say, skating coach, your skills coach, your, you know, human development uh, co coaches and scientists, you know, your analytics department, so that once you know exactly what your role is, what you're searching for, those people have answers to. But if you don't know what your role is specifically, that is a challenge because you don't exactly know what questions you're supposed to be asking. Yeah, to a degree. And and I think, you know, with, with him, the thing that really sticks out is that um, he, he was really committed to rounding out his game. Um, you know, an early adopter in terms of wanting to do the extra and, and to chip away at areas that he felt he had a pretty good knowledge of, his, of himself and where he thought he could take his game. And, um, you know, it's nice to see guys get rewarded because ultimately at the end of the day, you know, anytime you're involved in a development process, um, you know, and obviously my road has come up, you know, any of my team opportunities have been earned based on my clientele, you know, and word of mouth from them. So it wasn't vice versa. I wasn't getting my clients from the organization because I worked for them. You know, a lot of the people that I've been exposed to, it's it's been word of mouth and I've had to do it the hard way and earn up. And so you know, interestingly with, with a player like that, when you get someone that has that thirst and, you know, obviously I had some exposure to him inside of Ottawa, uh, you know, but really the, the cool part about him is that he's bought into the process of recognizing, you know, how do I make myself better? And so from a development 
standpoint for, for a coach, you know, I've always looked at it that if we can create a better player, a longer career, um, you know, help that player realize some potential, that means they play longer and they play longer, they earn more. And, and ultimately, I've always looked at it like that. If a player is trusting me to help, you know, increase their ability to provide for their family and prove their livelihood, that that holds a lot of merit for me versus do it because the team said so. So I take a lot of pride in the fact that the guys that I've been able to be around, you know, Nick included is, is a player that, you know, I feel pretty proud that he's locked up his future based on, you know, continuing to work in his game. When you look at how long it takes to mold uh, these, you know, upcoming power forwards today, uh, do you feel that Nick Paul is the perfect representation of, of patience and that it, that that's basically the model when it comes to this player type, because, you know, as fan bases is, 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 as uh, people look at these prospects coming in, it's I think there's a false sense of expectation how quickly some of them can develop. Is, do you mind touching on just that as a, as a skills coach and development coach? Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting thing. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint approach. I mean, the, the sexy answer is, you know, you have exposure to someone and they all of a sudden they hit and it's it's got nothing to do with me. Simply what I'm trying is guided discovery, right? I, I'm trying to, to steer the ship that, you know, it's not a, a quick 90 degree turn with guys. It's just, it's small minor tweaks and guiding people in the right direction to realize their trajectory. Um, you know, with him, you know, he's a great example of early on, especially when you sort of compare old school to new school hockey, um, you know, when you have a player that size, there's that mindset that he should be dominant just based on size alone. And we know what a fast game it's become. And so for a player like that, that, that may, well, doesn't, not may definitely has a, um, a distinct advantage in strength type scenarios. You know, if you're playing against him, obviously you're trying to play to your strengths. And, and so for players like that, recognizing how does my strength work within the scope of how fast the game is, how can I leverage it as a strength um, when things are moving very quickly? And so, you know, preemptively creating proper attack angles, preemptively establishing body position to extend possessions that allow him to leverage the strength of his physical nature, you know, against players that may want to, um, you know, create an angle where they can get in on a puck, create a race out of it. Um, you know, so, so those things take time. And, you know, when you get to be a teenage player in the Ontario Hockey League, you know, you have a lot of set habits in terms of how you use your skill set. And so, you know, I'll talk a lot about turning players into pros. The, the pro game is distinctly different and it's recognizing how does your physical makeup, your skill set makeup um, create advantages for you? And then how, you know, what do we need to maybe tweak in terms of implementation, of how you use the things you own? Um, to create that advantage and not get caught trying to play someone else's game. And so, you know, patience is definitely a thing. It's, it's not a lot different than, you know, we talk about Mason McTavish. He's a strong player, physically strong player, obviously not, you know, near the size of a Nick Paul, but you got to be patient with these players because they, they succeed in different ways um, than maybe a sheer skating speed-based skill player would. Um, and it's recognizing, you know, trying to be the best version of yourself and how that can mold and contribute to the National Hockey League game versus getting caught up in what the, the romanticized vision of how a player should play the game versus, you know, being the best version of yourself. Pat, once again, great segment and insight on Nick Paul. Look forward to speaking to you next week and we'll uh, take off 
for Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, bantam and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in power by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're going to talk about the Seattle Kraken prospects. And right off the top, let's talk about Shane Wright. Uh, interesting case study. And I think none of the things that came up and the discussions about him, one of it's because obviously he's a Canadian-born player, and of course he was, you know, um, exceptional status in the Ontario Hockey League. And if I think COVID didn't happen and he played that extra year, I think much of what was discussed about him wouldn't have been wouldn't have been a problem because he just didn't play that year. But then you look at what he what happened with him this year in terms of being in Seattle. Um, being scratched a lot, lots of practice, not a lot of games, going to the World Juniors, um, obviously getting some time in Coachella, uh, American Hockey League. I think that was great for him. So he got a little bit of a conditioning stint down there and played very, very well. Came into the World Juniors, was given a design, a, you know, designed role of being the captain and really being the defensive conscious in the middle of the ice. So all the hard matchups, he got them all. He got them all. Um, and I thought he attributed tri- himself exceptionally well and just decided this is what I'm going to do. It's almost I talked to him after the the World Juniors, and it was really like, and during the tournament, like, you know, you almost got in like an NHL equivalent. You got the Jonathan Taze role. You were going to do all the heavy lifting, and you were going to let other people be offensive. And that, if you got ex- you got points, great. But that's not what your job was is to win. That's it. And sometimes winning doesn't, produce points for a player of doing the things to win games. That was his goal. I'm the captain of a team. We're here to win gold. 
that's what we're here to do. And it was that difference, you know, we talk about the difference between making decisions and making choices. And he made hard choices. I'm the captain. I'm responsible. I'm going to make all the hard choices and let other people, you know, get glory in that respect. And I don't care as long as the end of the day we win. Thoughts on, you know, that it's been a bit of an interesting year for him as a player. It, it has, you know, I, I think I would probably not have accelerated him to the NHL, but I understand. I agree. The process Same. Because yep. you want him to understand what it takes. All right. And uh, that is, does give him an opportunity to see what it really takes to, to be an everyday pro. Um, yeah, he, he was largely successful in the AHL when I saw him. I didn't see him a ton, but when I did, I thought he was pretty good. Well, he got um, the five games in, so that's all we got. Yeah. Yeah, yeah not, not a ton there, but uh, I thought he was good. I thought he was pretty good in the ones I did see him in. Um, the, the thing with Shane Wright is, like, there's always going to be a microscope and a lens placed on, when, uh, on you when you're perceived number one overall, uh, even though he didn't go number one. And when you when you match up statistically with McDavid, which we've discussed before, and, and that's what he did when he was 15 years old in the OHL. So it, it's one of those situations where it immediately creates an expectation uh, outside of the present state of the player. And that can be unfair to the right. kid, um, especially in today's world where we create a, t- a tremendous amount of environmental pressure on him through social media. And, uh, you know, you, you can always ask a hockey player if, if it affects them. And, and most of them will say it doesn't. But let's let's call a spade a spade. It absolutely affects some of these kids. Um, I so think it affects it, all of them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Most of them. So it's one of those situations where uh, you have to be patient with him, despite it, where he was drafted. Uh, I thought he was pretty good this season overall from what I've seen. Um, uh, it the, the big thing for me, and I think what some people misunderstand about this player is that um, he's an incredibly talented player. He's very gifted, uh, but he doesn't always he takes what's given to him but he doesn't force defensemen into bad spots as often as he's theoretically could with his skill set. He doesn't apply pressure correctly yet. And he doesn't think the game in an overly creative manner, which I think is attributed to some superstar. So if you look at how Matt Barzell, I know he's not like a super superstar. Matt Barzell is still a heck of a player. You look at Matt Barzell and you look at Nathan McKinnon, uh, you look at Bedard now, you look at Datsuk before. There's there's one thing they have that he doesn't have, and that's that they were incredibly creative, and then they use that creativity to have their talent flourish that much more and then apply it to defense. I wonder, Where, question, before you get into that answer, how much is that based on his own personal choices and decisions? Like there's there's a difference between somebody who has the ability but chooses not to use it and people who don't have the ability. I think it's primarily, honestly, a factor of the fact that he doesn't see it. Usually right. with creativity, it's something that that uh, develops as a result of being able to see when they, they can apply it. Uh, he doesn't seem to know when he can apply a creative play for the most. Now, of course, he can, don't be wrong. Like he can still make some advanced technical plays that you would label creative. For instance, he can he can rush down a wing and then make a hesitation, uh, reverse spinning pass into open ice, and and do it in a way that's pretty pretty uh, technical, and and you you label it a pretty creative pass. But when, for instance, like new age player, I guess Nils Hoglander would be one of the most creative players, uh, it, uh, not the most efficient with it, which is why he's in the AHL right now. But in terms of like pure creativity and how he applies it, he'd be out there. Right. right. Um, and, and so what I'm, what I was going to say was that this is a cerebral player 
He's a two steps ahead player, and and he treats the game like like um, uh, chess. But what you want to do is you wish sometimes that he would he would um, he he's too streamlined is what I'm trying to say, and he's very intelligent. But you wish sometimes he would just drive that up and find a bit more within uh, his toolbox in terms of his creativity. It just hasn't been there, and I don't think it's coming. And so you have to just rein in the expectation of what you're expecting from him. Right. Let's talk about uh, Jaeger Furkus. Uh, thoughts on him as well, because he was <laughs> he was an interesting case study coming into the draft uh, as well. Um, you know, d- diminutive, but highly skilled in that respect. And that's when you and I always talk about the floor and the ceiling and, you know, where do you fit? And is he one dimensional or does he have multiple dimensions? Can, can he do different things at an NHL level if he does make it to the NHL thoughts on him as an overall player? Yeah. I have been seeing Jagger a ton this season, um, but heading back to his draft season, I, I thought he was pretty comparable to Jonathan LeCaramacchi in some ways. Um, right. I did a contrast breakdown in the black book of, the, of them um, on our staff. We definitely had Lakaramaki a whole lot higher and we thought more highly of him. Um, but Jagger, Jagger's a very talented, talented player. Like there's no, some players um, when the, the pace of play ramps up, when they're smaller, the pace of play ramps up, the physicality ramps up, uh, they get lost, they get drowned out. Uh, their skill seems to diminish. You don't see it as often. It's, it's hidden. Uh, Jagger, seems to be one of those rare exceptions to the rule where he has, he has no problem when, when games get ramped up uh, applying himself still on the ice with his skill set. Uh, the, the real question with Jagger is, can he physically hold? And I don't have the answer to that yet. I don't think any of us do, um, but it, it, it it's the, the tricky part is that he's such a talented player. It makes every sense in the world where he was drafted, but then developmentally, there's just so much more work to be done. Right. And that that's the that's the real key with Jagger. It's going to be all about that physical growth rate because he's not the most dynamic skater. He's a decent skater at his size, but not a, not a very good. Skater. I would never I would never label him a very good skater uh, at his size. And then you, you look at his he's a, again, very talented. So soft skills there in spades. But when you look at the hard skill applications, ability to protect the puck, his uh, ability to uh, react dynamically resistance, reverse it out of place, create time and space for himself, it's mixed. It's, it's a little inconsistent all over the map, really, right? And so he's going to have to develop those secondary characteristics so that he can apply his primary characteristics on the ice at the pro level, the NHL level. Um, but yeah, he, he's, a, he's a, as you mentioned, a really unique case study for the game, as all these smaller players are. Right. Like the, these these small, diminutive, super hyper talented players, they're all individual case studies because for everyone that hits, there's five that don't. But it seems like media wise, social, social media wise and just how people think about it is when one hits, it makes up for the five that didn't. But behind the scenes, not how it works. Right. Well, no, that's so those yeah. those are bad odds. Right. Those yes, are bad exactly. odds. Right. Yeah. So for, odds, for the so. amount of attention that they get. Those are bad odds. So if I say to you, that's yeah, right, it's, a, yeah. it's a 15% chance, you're going to go, oh, that's awful. But then when the 15 hits, it's like lottery win, C, C, point, point, like what our model or whatever we like, uh, whatever narrative I'm building is correct. And I'm like, well, what about all these guys? Not to be mean, but you got to show the entire picture of the situation. And, you know, as scouts and obviously management groups, like your your careers are on the line. You know, and you have to mitigate that risk appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I know it's a weird comparison and not many people will know it, but 
the way I look at, so like he, he's about 5'10", right? Yeah. Um, the last diminutive 5'10 player who's really physically underdeveloped that I was really high on was Arsini Gritsiuk, which right. was New Jersey's fourth round pick in 2019. I thought it was one of the best picks in the draft. And so far he's developing the way I expected. But the reason I bring up Gritsiuk is because Gritsiuk had already understood how to apply hard skill. He just didn't have the frame to always do it. Where yeah. Jagger is not in that situation. Jagger doesn't understand what hard skill really is yet. If that makes sense. He has not developed it yet. Where again, Gritsia Caddy just physically wasn't ready. Um, so that that's, again, these are individual case studies. We'll, we'll see how he comes along, but heck of a talent. Well, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We come back into the next segment. We're going to continue to talk about the Seattle Kraken prospects. We've got a few guys more to talk about, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how our discussion leads into that. We'll be back right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about the Seattle Kraken prospects. So let's talk about Yanni Newman right off the top, because we chatted a lot about him coming into his draft year. Big kid, clearly 6'3", almost 220 pounds already, so I don't know what they're feeding him. Like... Feeding that kid a whole, whole reindeer, I suppose, right? Because, like, yeah. where do you find kids at, like, 18 years of age that size? But th- we talked about we weren't quite exactly sure where, like, we had a range of where he was going to go in the draft, and I think we were pretty accurate in that. But it was just a matter of there was some uncertainty about his game, I think, in terms of his his ceiling of where he was going to play uh, from that perspective. And talk about his game and 
you know, as it's translates and you got, we got a chance to see him play obviously at the world juniors and he got five games in. And I thought he, you know, he played pretty well in some cases at the world juniors. Uh, the Finland wasn't the greatest team, uh, but they had some moments in that. So talk about a little bit about him as a player, but then what you've seen so far this, this season. Uh, well, dating back to the U18s, I honestly thought it was very underwhelming there. But uh, I'd watched a ton of them. I really, really liked them. Um, at Hockey Prospect, I mean, we had them ranked um, at the beginning portion of the season and at the end portion of the season, the highest out of anybody publicly. Uh, I thought he'd go too late in the draft, and uh, he did go too late in the draft, and he looks fantastic uh, so far to me. So uh, he's really improved in key areas that he needed to improve. And the, it really starts with his balance. You know, he's, he, as we just mentioned, the kid's a horse, uh, but had not uh, physically filled out his frame, had not gotten the skating to where uh, where he needed to in order to uh, to be able to play a balanced game of hockey. Um, and what I mean by that is I, I don't mean like just a well-rounded game. I mean like literally being able to drive while maintaining balance so that he can actually do damage with his shooting ability because he has a fantastic shot. Shot quality is second to none one of the best shots in the draft last season, but he would have a lot of difficulty setting up his shot because as, as I just said, he, he couldn't drive correctly because he, he would posturally uh, put himself in a bad spot. So that's improved dramatically this season. Uh, I think one of the reasons that he slipped a little bit in the draft is one, he played in Mestis, was the second right. uh, tier pro league in Finland, which is, uh, there's not a ton of players that come from there. Um, so there's less, less data, less assurance. Um, and the other aspect is very up and down. You, you never knew what you were getting with Yanny, Yanny Newman on a game-to-game basis. One game in Mestis, I legitimately looked at him as a top six bonafide NHL in the making. Next game you go, I don't know if he's going to play. And that continued all over the map the whole season, all over the map. So he was one of those players I really honed in on because you needed way more viewings than normal to just figure out what was going on. Um, but yeah, th- this player has tremendous, tremendous upside. I really think he could be a top six power forward and a unique one, a uh, very unique player. Um, he's not the fastest, fastest player. He never will be. He's not a great playmaker, but he doesn't have to be. As long as he's a decent, adequate playmaker, he can use his frame and his shot quality to really create havoc, create problems for the opposing team. And for him, it's all about the mental consistency, which I think has already improved this season. Um, and he's got a he's got a very unique stride. So one thing that's uh, unique about him is with his upper body mechanics, he flares his elbows. So his elbows are like 90 degrees parallel to the floor at a weird angle. And I, I think that off puts people a little bit because of how wonky i guess he, he looks aesthetically when he's moving right um but w- once you watch him enough you get used to it and you're like eh, it is what it is a player you know not every player can look graceful when they're doing what they're doing so um when you get past the the skating mechanics and the awkwardness of them and you really look at just his a to b you look at the frame you look at the talent level you look at how he's developing i i really think that seattle's home run pick is looking like and projecting to be the Yanny new pick that yeah. to me looks like well, it's always a challenge with power forwards because we can, we can overvalue them and get caught in scarcity and then it blows up in your face. Um, and but you have to, and that's why we talk about why you have to be patient with power forwards. Well, because they just take longer to develop because they have, they've been able to like dominate physically for so long. They have to start to recognize how to use that properly when the talent, like when the size increases who they play, when they're playing against men, 
were just as, you know, in some cases, just as strong as they are. Um, so that's always a fascinating aspect of when you watch a, a young power forward develop. Want to get your thoughts as well as on David Goyette. Um, and he was another player that, you know, playing out of Sudbury where there was a lot of discussion about him. That's the one thing about, you know, the OHL you and I talk about quite a bit is there's so much focus on the Ontario Hockey League because that's the media center of Canada is you got both big networks there. And a lot of the people that work for those networks talk to the people that, you know, cover the OHL and scouts and people in the area that live in Ontario hockey, you know, hockey league range. So they get far more like publicity and hype and discussion than any other place. So, you know, that was kind of like, that was the whole thing about David Goyette is this, even though he played in Sudbury, you know, there was more discussion about him and we talked about him quite a bit going into the draft as well. So thoughts on him as a player than how that relates to how he's continued to develop. He's a tell of two halves player. He, he fit in under the, uh, the way I wrote it last year in, in the black book was uh, I contrasted him with a bit with Ivan Marishashenko. The reason is they're not very similar players at all. The reason I contrasted them is because out of any players in the draft that had uh, contrasting first halves to second halves of their seasons, it was them. I thought Ivan was very poor in, in the first half of the season before coming alive. Obviously, his situation got shut down there. But just before he did get shut down, um, I thought he was really developing, starting to really showcase the hype, you know. Um, with Goyette, very different situation because Merchantrenko played last year, uh, or sorry, played the previous year before his draft season because he was in the MHL. So he got games. Goyette didn't because of the COVID pause. And yeah. so you're dealing with Goyette being a rookie in the OHL in his draft season. That means you have to be super patient, super yeah. patient with the evaluation. So I watched him um, quite a few times. Mark Edwards got games live. Uh, as a staff, we were very hesitant on him because we saw that raw talent. We saw the raw talent, but there were so many issues. There was a ton to work on, right? Um, but when you look at him from the start of the season, then you looked at him, by March and April and the, and the driving ability and what he was doing, completely different player. Confidence, uh, the, the, you know, for some players, just the confidence comes out and then they flourish and then that talent they already have comes out. That wasn't the case with Goyette. Goyette actually had to modify how he applied his skill. And that's what he did. And he did it successfully. That's that's what you want to see in a curve. That's one of the things you want to look for as a scout. Um, and, and I thought he did a fantastic job of really showcasing, representing more of what potentially could become a top nine energy winger at the NHL level who can drive possession at times with his brilliant edge work. So um, he was under a microscope, very similar to Shane Wright in the OHL in the sense that high caliber talent, right? everybody's watching him, everybody's criticizing him. I think it is one of the reasons that he dropped in the draft class. The U18s didn't help him. Uh, I think the U18s, though, to put it very kindly, I don't think the, the coaching um, put him in a position to succeed at that tournament. Uh, so I, I don't weight the U18 performance uh, very heavily. I don't think many people did, to be honest with you. So I think it's one of those situations where it really came down to your viewings. Did you get a lot of second half viewings relative to that first half? Did you sour on him too early? Or do you just think there's just not enough potential there uh, because he's, he's one of those high-skilled players who's not a not a very physical – he doesn't have a lot of fallback options, right? He's one of those one of those Lekaramaki-style players where if the skill doesn't get the flourish – doesn't have doesn't have that secondary power source to him that he can rely on, right? So, um, yeah. I'm a big fan of of his development. Um, 
I really like what I've seen from him recently. I think he's a much more efficient playmaker than he was uh, when he first came to the OHL. I think his his pace of play off the puck has improved dramatically. I think he's just a much more well-rounded, much more diversified, talented player that has a uh, real potential to be a top nine energy winger at the NHL level. I thought it was a good pick, and I still do. I, I think he's doing pretty well in the OHL. Well, that's one of the things we, you know, we sometimes forget about is, and you had mentioned it because he missed that year because of COVID. So he's in essentially a year behind. What what would he have been like if this was his draft year, right? In terms of games played, like how would he have been viewed, right? So that's part of it as well. Dif- <laughs> um, yes, obviously, <laughs> differently. Different, very different. You know, and then the other factor is when you see guys, particularly in their rookie year early, you know, and they're going to be consistently inconsistent. And you should, everybody, you know, we should all know that. But sometimes we get caught and like, and then like you talked about, souring on a player and then, you know, then, you know, not being able to wipe that out of your mind and just see it from hey, a clear perspective. Listen, and that's, I'm that's speaking tough. from experience, you know, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. I, do the same I, I soured on Helge Grands. I thought he was terrible internationally. I couldn't stand him. And I, I could, I should have just kept watching right to the end of the season. Our Swedish scout at the time was watching him live said, listen, he's improving. I never got back to him. And then, you know, LA and Eddie, there, Mark and Eddie, director of scouting for LA that says, yeah, no, we, we thought the same thing. And he really skyrocketed. So the, honestly, one of those situations for me, was a learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. I, I, said, I won't let it happen. We'll go ahead. And then, so then, and that's what happened, right? You got to be very careful with, uh, with um, not souring too quickly on a player. It's very, very important for scouting in general. Absolutely. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned right after this. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. 
We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're speaking with Jason Bukula in our scouting perspective segment. And Jason, this week's topic is evaluating smaller offensive defensemen. So currently in the league, I went back and took a look in the NHL. Now I'm going to include Ryan Ellis in this conversation. Defensemen that are 5'10 or shorter, there's 10 of them in the NHL. So you look at the top six of every team, that's 192 defensemen. That equals to 5.25% of the league, or 5'10 and smaller. It's still a big man's league, but talk about the evaluation process of looking at a defenseman who's in that size range in terms of height, but also is a smaller in terms of frame. And how do you go about that process of projecting them into the NHL when it's still a big man's league and for them to have success and be able to, to thrive and survive in the NHL, particularly when it gets into the playoffs. So it's a great, uh, I'm shocked that there's only 10 because the league has evolved quite a bit over the years and it's become more of a track meet as we know with a lot less bump and grind in the regular season, obviously playoffs is a different animal altogether um but i'll go back to uh, ryan ellis who we drafted in nashville in 2009 he was one of the first guys i thought that was uh, coming through the system that was elite offensively undersized and then the questions that you're bringing up are obvious ones you know is he going to be able to defend and handle weight at the nhl level um the reality is that the skill set that he provides uh, offensively is so elite uh, not only did he shoot the puck a ton and have excellent vision. His compete level was off the charts. He showed back then in a small arena in Windsor. You remember the old Windsor arena? Yes. Um, yeah. he, he showed that he was capable to defend and be in the area and and, and push back enough uh, on the defensive side of the ledger. So um, fast forward to today, and there's some really good players that are starting to come through the systems. Um, Lane Hudson's a favorite of mine at BU. Um, I know you and I have had some uh, off-the-air discussions about Lane, and you've seen him recently. Um, he's a really light, small, undersized defender. So his his skill set is obvious offensively. He's a very elite offensively, playmaker, um, dangerous off the rush, can transport the puck on his own. Um, what he's going to need to do and how I view a guy like Lane is, you know, he's not going to be able to body up, right? He's not going to engage physically as much. He's going to be an area defender, active stick. Um, if they don't have an elite brain chain on the defensive side and combine that with compete, they're not going to have a chance at the NHL level for the rest of their element to shine through. You know, it's one of the interesting things. So I saw Lane Hudson recently at BU playing. And one of the things that every time I watch him play, I think if he's going to make it into the NHL, he needs to defend like Jared Spurgeon with the Minnesota wild, same kite, like they're, you know, similar build, um, obviously, like highly intelligent defenders uh, in terms of understanding. But for Lane, it's about leverage. It's about under like angling properly, getting the stick. And it's really about taking away time and space before he has to engage physically. So if he can do that and like basically stop the play before it actually happens, before you get to the dots, if he can break up plays before you get to the dots, I think that's where he's going to be successful. And if they decide to dump it in and like try to destroy him on a four check, he has to be able to get to that puck like very quickly and understand exactly where his first option is or be able to use deception, which he that's one of his great skills is he's highly deceptive is to slip that first 
forecheck and then find that option again or skate it out. But I think if he's got to defend, he's got to defend to the neutral zone, to the dots first. And if he can just take away time and space and gap properly, I think, and get a stick in there and angle properly. And then when he does engage, he's got to use leverage. Like I, when I play football or rugby, I'm not a tall guy. I'm 5'9", but I had to get underneath armpits. I had to get on people's hips. I had to get on people's knees because that's where all the leverage points are. And if he can understand how to do that, I think he's going to be an effect, effective enough at the NHL level. All he needs to be is average. Just has to be average right. defensively, and the rest will shine f- through for him. From my perspective of watching him play, no, he does. He just needs to be average. And you, you, you touched on something that's really important there. You talked about basically you're talking about routes to pucks, right? So, yeah. like if um, if if a team is chip and chase through the neutral zone and they chip it to his corner, um, his route and his quickness in terms of being able to, to like when I scout, especially smaller defensemen. Um, their pivot pace and their continuation pace coming off their edges. Um, it's really important because if you can gain uh, an extra step and a half on your opponent just because you're more agile and your turns are better and your, your edges are better and you get there better, um, you're going to be able to move the puck before that, that opponent engages physically. And that's going to be really important for Lane, right? Um, the other thing you have to also consider is that depending on who he's playing with his partner, um, they can kind of manage the, the other side of the ice and that directs the play to lane. So I think he's going to be a guy that a lot of opponents are going to want to attack his lane off the rush because of his size and stature. Um, so back pressure also becomes a, a thing uh, coaches will, will definitely preach uh, with the forward group when he arrives. But I think you and I both agree that when you're scouting a guy like that, his offensive element is so elite that you're willing to take the risk um, to develop the, the athlete to, to be an NHL player because um, his brain is that good. You know, in, in those cases, when you look at the smaller offensive defensemen, I like the fact I'm, I, I'm always a little bit more hesitant if they're coming through the, um, the Canadian Hockey League because they have to be signed at 20. And then they're going into the meat grinder that is the American Hockey League. Whereas if you're going to the college route or you're European, you have a longer runway of development. So even though, you know, Lane is so highly skilled, I think it might behoove him to play three years in college hockey just to refine those specific areas defensively. Because, look, he's going to dominate offensively. I watched him play at, you know, a couple of weeks ago at BU. I was like, I kind of went, okay, like he's going to do whatever he wants with the puck and he can dictate play in that respect. But I think, you know, you give him two more years, let him go to the World Juniors again, get him two more years, and then get him into the American League and then work his process through that. Because at least it gives the Montreal Canadiens, in this respect, the time to work with him for two more off-seasons before you get him into the American Hockey League. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, his stature reminds me a lot of uh, the Chip kid who came through BU. I think he went right. to you as well. Didn't he before he went, he's on the Bruins. Like his yeah, stature yeah. reminds me a lot of that. And, you know, his journey and figuring it out, I think that he's a pretty good poster child for how to figure it out because he's not Jared Spurgeon, but he's also not Lane Hudson. You know what I mean? Like he's somewhere in between there. That's right. And um, and Grelchik, uh, what, what a guy like, he should almost learn a little bit from him too because Grelchik's relentless. Like he's one of the leading uh, contact makers uh, on the Boston Bruins who are a, a burly team. But, you know, he's one of the guys that leads their group in terms of body contact. And, um, you know, it speaks to his relentless compete. And, um, 
listen, my, my advice to anybody listening to this, and whether you're scouting major, junior, uh, minor, major, junior, tier two, or the National Hockey League, is don't be afraid of these guys. Don't be afraid of these guys. The game has changed. There's no red line. Uh, kids that are that have an elite brain that have offensive tools um, or the girl chicks who are kind of in between or girls that I, I always mess up his name, sorry. But, um, you know, there's, there's room for this player in the league today, I believe, more than there has been in the past. And your study is a fascinating one uh, with only 5.25% of the active NHL players being of that size or less. Um, I'd like to see that change. And I think it will a little bit in the future. You can't have You can't have six of them but you certainly can have the right ones. Yeah, certainly. And I think you have to, it's important to have the right partner with that player. They don't have to be the big burly defensive defenseman. I think, you know, if you're going to partner with somebody like that, you want an insulator, but you want more of a, you know, a, a Marcus Pedersen type of player for, out of Pittsburgh, long rangy has some mobility and can make a smart first pass. Just like doesn't have to make these lightning passes, but it has to be a smart first pass. And he has to understand that he has to constantly adjust to whatever that offensive defenseman is doing because he always has to constantly be an outlet. You can't wander off and wander away and think they'll figure it out. You can't. Like You almost have to, like, a, your job is to adjust to them. And then if they need an outlet, you're there. And then you make a quick, easy, safe pass out to whatever, you know, your sentiment or your winger who happens to be your first outlet. That's how I sort of see it from that perspective. I think you're bang on there. Like it's, it's important and you're painting a picture here. That's really important. Like if people listening to this, like if you're a deep partner of a really active player, like a Hudson or an Ellis back in the day, or hopefully still going forward. But um, when you're a partner of those guys, you can't overskate the, I always call it routes. Like you can't be, you can't be ahead of the play. You have to be able to be available for him to move the puck to you if required you also have to be able to move the puck to him in the right areas so he can go, you know, go to work. And you always want to keep the play in front of you when you're a partner. When you have an active partner, the defense, he's not really a defensive guy. He can be a two-way guy. Um, but you want to be like a Dan Hamus or a Ryan Suter, those types of guys, you know, that can be the most solid two-way guys, transported sometimes. Like Suits can rush the puck. Back in the day, he did it more. But he was more like an, a safe guy. You could partner with, with someone like a, a Ryan Ellis back in, in Nashville yeah. if they needed to play together it's because they're smart enough to know keep the play in front of you be available on the outlet go on offense when i can have a chance um but coaches coach it up that way the brain of the athlete on the back end i always come back to hockey iq i think you're a pretty big fan of that too like you have to have the sense you have to know where to be on the ice uh, to support each other especially when you have a whirling dervish as a uh, as a b partner well, Jason, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show. Really appreciate it. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Awesome, Shane. Have a great day. Thank you. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after this. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, bantam, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hour 2, brought to you by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at juniorprospecthockeyleague.com. We're speaking with Mike McMahon from the College Hockey News about the college hockey playoffs. Now. As we are recording today, there's going to be games on the 17th to 18th of March. Now, three of the conferences are already in their final stages. So let's start with those three first. So we know. So the CCHA is Northern Michigan versus Minnesota State. I have no idea who's going to win that. Do you? Uh, No. So, I mean, looking at the way it's gone this year, Minnesota State on paper looks like the better team. Uh, They're they're starting – Minnesota State is starting to play a little bit more like the Minnesota State team we were – have grown grown accustomed to like over the last two years uh, over the last couple of months. But that being said, I mean, this is a Northern team that still has, I think 21, 22 wins. Uh, they, they've had a very good season and that league, the top half of that league has kind of been wide open. It's been Minnesota state, Michigan tech, Northern Michigan, Bowling green, really for the bulk of the season. Uh, two of those teams are out. Two of those teams are left standing. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I think Minnesota state goes in as the favorite, but still, it really wouldn't surprise me if Northern is able to get the job done there because both teams have played really well down the stretch. What's going to happen in the Atlantic Conference? Is it Holy Cross? I think it might be, which sounds crazy. They're the seven seed, uh, but I pointed this out last night, you know, because people were, were kind of they were going nuts. People were really impressed with the fact that they beat the number one seed, RIT. Right. And I said, look, you know, it's yes i mean rit was wire to wire the number one team in that league all year but i don't think people would, should have been surprised about holy cross if you look at what they've done over the last three months they're 14 8 and 2 in their last 24 games all since like the beginning of december their yeah. last three months have been really really good they had yeah. a tough start but their last three months have been really good and uh you know and, and bill Riga is a guy their head coach who was at quinnipiac he's been around a very long time he knows how to build winners quinnipiac obviously was able and has been able to do so Absolutely. for a while we'll talk we'll talk about them in a minute i'm sure um so you know it, it he's in his second year it just feels like you know, that second half of the second year is when it started to come together it came together for him uh you know maine didn't advance in hockey east but they're another example of a 
guy where it you know came together kind of the second half of his second year for Ben Barr up at Maine too. So uh, that's it's been the story. Holy Cross, don't sleep on them. They they've played really well the last three months. Okay, here comes the the Titans, the Battle of the Titans, the Big Ten, Minnesota, Michigan. Now, I'm leaning towards Michigan because I just have a hard time seeing that an and Adam Fantilli led team he's going to drag them kicking and screaming into the fight. Like he almost wills himself and his team to win when sometimes they shouldn't win, even though they're a very, very talented team, but he just seems to be one of those guys who's so dialed in all the time that he's going to find a way to overcome. But, and I know the Minnesota golden gopher fans are screaming at me right now. Um, But I just have a sense this year. It's going to go in that way, but knowing my luck, it's going to go the other way. And then I'm just going to get chirped. So that always happens too. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I think this is a toss up. Like it's a coin flip. Yeah. It's I probably, le- yeah, I probably lean slightly Minnesota slightly uh, just because I think they're, they're better built to win in a couple of different ways. Not that Michigan needs the game to take shape one way, but Michigan excels in a, in a track meet, obviously, with yeah. the amount of skill that they have. I think Minnesota State can can win in a number of di- – I mean, excuse me, Minnesota can win in a number of different ways. So I, I give them a slight, slight edge, but re- in reality, I mean, flip a coin and and pick a team. That, that's well, really what we're talking about. Minnesota's going to have to slow them down. Like, you got to slow oh, the game down. Yeah. And you can't – they can't take penalties. So if they can slow the game down a little bit through the neutral zone – and not take penalties, that's where their advantage, I think, lies for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is where, like, this is a game where a Minnesota team is going to really rely on on somebody like Brock Faber, who doesn't put up a ton of points, but he's very good in his own end. He's very good at, at getting the puck out of the zone, that first pass. Uh, that's huge because you can't get stuck. I mean, if, right. if you're stuck running around in the defensive zone with, with those Michigan players just – zipping the puck around it's going to be a long night you need somebody that when the puck hits their stick can get it out even if it's high off the glass can get it out effectively and favors great at that well i think the most intriguing matchup maybe in all of college hockey playoffs is going to be adam fentilli versus brock favor mm-hmm. i can't wait yeah. to see that right because <laughs> i think brock favor is the best defensive defenseman in college hockey and you got the best freshman and and should be the hobie baker winner Adam Adam Fantilli, I want to see them go head to head. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome matchup. Really, like and, as as a fan of the game, but also as like a like scouting the game and watching players how they handle duress and stress in the big game situations. That's about as big as it's going to get. No doubt, and, and we might even get it more than once. That that'd be the fun part. I mean, yeah, these teams they look like. They're probably both going to be number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, but who knows? I mean, these teams could face off again in the Frozen Four. That'd be great. Love that. So (laughs) the NCHC, we got four teams because we got the two games going. So Colorado College and Denver in one matchup, North Dakota and St. Cloud. Who do you think is coming out of those two matchups? You know, I think we talked about North Dakota last week. We did. How How hard it was going to be to take their sticks away. Cause that I know they're outside the top 15 of the pairwise and yeah. it's been a little bit of an up and down year, but that's still a really talented group. And I think that's what we saw this weekend. I wouldn't be surprised if, if North Dakota was able to get itself into the final, 
I think if they get there, they're probably facing Denver. Colorado College is at a nice run, don't get me wrong. And, and being able to slow down and eliminate a Western Michigan team that was a top-scoring top right. team in the country this year was impressive. Uh, and that's another a team that's real young. A lot of sophomores and juniors that are contributing there. Uh, but I, I think Denver is – Denver on it just has been so overpowering in the second half. You know, they've been hard to stop. So my guess is we, we see a, a final that's probably Denver and North Dakota – Probably give a slight edge to Denver uh, in that scenario, just because of the fact that they've been so good. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be easy to take the sticks away from from that North Dakota team. I mean, there's a lot of at the end of the day. I, I know where they're where they're ranked and everything else, but there's a lot of talented players on that side. Let's roll into Hockey East. So Providence is playing BU and Mass Lowell is playing Merrimack, and you got to give it to Providence. Right, you got to give it to him. I saw him a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, ooh, this team could be dangerous if the goalie plays well and they play their system. Don't deviate. So although I think the deck stacked against them with Boston University, I don't know what's going to happen in UMass Lowell or Merrimack, so you're going to have to help me with that one. Yeah, I, I so I agree. I, I think the deck is stacked against Providence a little bit with BU. It's tough to slow them down. Uh, but they were able to do it against Northeastern this past weekend. That's right. I mean, that's a yeah. pretty good Northeastern team, too. Uh, you know, different in the way that they attack compared to BU, but still, there's some weapons on that team that they had to neutralize, and they were able to do it. Uh, on the other side of it, I mean, oh, my God, Merrimack and Lowell is going to be a dogfight. I mean, those are two teams that play a very similar style. It's very heavy. It's very physical. It's a lot of hand-to-hand combat. It's a lot of trying to make sure the opponent doesn't get to the front of the net. I mean, I think that game could, could represent – it's going to look like a boxing match more than it's going to look like a hockey game. Do we get a uh, d- double OT kind of game out of that one? Yeah, you could. I mean, you could. That's one where, you know, just kind of looking at the weekend in Hockey East overall, I think whoever comes out of the BU Providence game probably has an advantage going into Saturday only because I think Merrimack and Lowell are just going to beat each other up. Yeah. Yeah. And they they have the late game, which is the other thing. So BU and Providence are going to play at four o'clock. They're going to be at their hotel. They're going to be eating dinner. They're going to be in bed before the Merrimack Lowell game even ends. And that Merrimack Lowell game is going to be two teams just beating the crap out of each other. So uh, it it does it makes a difference. It's why the NCAA went to the day off in between in the NCAA tournament. I think you know having a late game it. as opposed to the early game it 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 matters. It matters. Hundred percent. So ECAC, you got Colgate versus Quinnipiac and Cornell and Harvard. As I'm wearing my hat, um, I you know. Good on Colgate, but I think Quinnipiac clearly is the lead, and Cornell and Harvard. Obviously, I think you got to tip the hat to Harvard there. So, but that doesn't mean there can't be upsets. So, thoughts on those two games? Yeah, I mean, I think it's Quinnipiac's to lose at this point. Um, I do think it's Quinnipiac and Harvard though in the final. I mean, uh, Harvard and Cornell is a, it's it's another game that is a virtual toss up. But I do think Harvard just. In games like this, when you lean on your skill, Harvard has more of it. Uh, if Cornell is going to win that game, they're going to have to do it in a very specific way, and it's going to be having to, to slow down the top guns and on Harvard. Defense is, and just not yeah. take penalties and being real disciplined. A real disciplined 100%. puck management game and a real discipline in terms of not taking penalties. Exactly. And they had a tough weekend this weekend with, with Clarkson. I mean, Clarkson yeah. and Cornell play a very similar style. and. Talk about Lowell and Merrimack beating each other up. Well, Clarkson and Cornell beat each other up this past weekend. Now, of course, it's a week to recover. But, uh, yeah, my guess is that it's, it's Quinnipiac and Harvard in the final. But, you know, Quinnipiac has to break through. They were the favorite last year, and they lost in the ECAC tournament. So yep. uh, they they need to kind of bear down and, and, I think, prove that they can come out of the out of the ECAC final with a championship and head into the ECAC – excuse me, head into the NCAA tournament feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah, I'm curious to see how this all plays out. I think, you know, for our listeners up in 
in Canada, it's really unfortunate that we don't get this type, these tournaments on TV at TSN. Yeah, like in some cases, they have nothing else to show on certain days. So you might as well show it because it's great hockey. And when these like single elimination games, I think they're fantastic and just expose the Canadian uh, fans to the crowd and to the bands and the whole college atmosphere. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's different than the junior hockey rinks that, you know, team, uh, fans go to. But once again, Mike, want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Enjoy the playoffs over this weekend and look forward to, to talking to you next week after all the dust is settled. Sounds good. Thanks. That's Mike McMahon from the college hockey news. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our Around the AHL segment with Patrick Williams. Patrick, thanks for coming on the show again. We Great. always appreciate always it. happy to be here. Well, let's uh, go down the list of the American League franchises, and this week we're going to talk about Henderson, the most popular place, maybe other than them, Coachella and San Diego, most popular places to be as an American League player. And uh, I know you just had a conversation with their coach recently, and talk a little bit about the evolution of Henderson Silver Knights and how popular it is become as a destination and how the organization functions because you know it's not a surprise that every time I've talked to some somebody about Henderson, they go first class. It's the first two words out of their out of their mouths is first class. Well, you yes, yeah, so you got Henderson. I was I would say they're one A, one B, one C, Coachella, San Diego. You could throw Tucson in there too. Right. Uh, yep. Very yep. popular destination as well. Uh, uh, a lot of players like to uh, you know. They get nice suntans during the season. Uh, 
being down that way. But um, yeah, so I think with Henderson, you have to sort of almost go back to the Vegas Golden Knights start, right? So like they open up in 2017 um, and uh, originally affiliated with the Chicago Wolves. And it's a situation obviously where you don't have a lot of draft classes yet. So, um, you know, it's kind of a hodgepodge uh, roster for a couple of years. Second year, they actually made the Calder Cup final. That, that was 2019 against Charlotte. They lost that. Then, you know, the wheels start turning. Um, Vegas was very eager to bring their, you know, prospects closer home, especially going into 2020 when they were going to start having that that first crop of of uh, draft picks start to really cycle into the system. So that was uh, that was a top priority. And as I think with everything Vegas does, um, they didn't cut any quarters. I mean, so they they bought the San Antonio Rampage. They bring them to, to the Vegas market. Henderson's just right outside of, uh, you know, Vegas proper. Um, you know, you're about maybe 20 minutes from the strip, you know, where, where the Golden Knights play. And um, not only so the, the first uh, year, year and a half, they play in New Orleans Arena, which in its own right is a nice building. Yeah, but, it is. I mean, really nice building. And a lot of teams in this league would be thrilled to have a building like that. But uh, they, they took it up another level and they built the uh, – Dollar Loan Center, 60, uh, or, yeah, about 6,000 seat facility, perfect size for the AHL. Um, brand new. I mean, this building is not just NHL caliber scale down, but it's like high echelon NHL caliber. I mean, it's a beautiful facility, you know, player amenities wise, fan amenities, you know, you know, logistics, everything. So, um, you know, obviously it's an extremely popular destination for players. Um, I don't think uh, you have to ask too many players twice if you uh, if you pursue them in free agency if they want to come play in in Vegas and uh, spend their winters there. The travel's not bad, so it's a really good setup that way. Um, Henderson's actually playing all their games this season within their division, so um, that keeps the travel even more manageable. Uh, and uh, you know they've you know as Vegas as really in this case with anyone. Um, as the NHL team goes, so goes the AHL team, right? So Vegas, they've had their ups and downs this year in terms of injuries and, and lineups uh, and such. Now, we're in a situation here where, you know, you have Brassois up, he's injured. You had Hutchinson got traded. Um, Yuri Patera is up right now. Um, so they're down now to Isaiah Seville, a young, young prospect, really uh, still, you know, trying to find his way. Came up from the ECHL um, and now – He's the number one guy for their playoff race, and they're they're uh, going down the stretch here. They're they're seven out going into this week, uh, but it, it, as we we said with this with this league, the divisional play really can cut those uh, those gaps down. One hundred percent, yeah. And they've uh, they have really steady hand in terms of their management group and their coaching staff. So Tim Tim Speltz is is the general manager there, longtime Western yeah. Hockey League general manager, and he's seen it all in his oh, yeah. career, right? Obviously worked as a scout as well for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so bringing in somebody like that, I thought was a really smart hire because he understands the development model of players, what their needs are and how to manage those situations. So for me, I don't think they could have picked a better person to come in and be that general manager for that farm team. Agreed. And same thing with head coach, Manny Beaveros, another yes. guy who's, uh, you know, I mean, he has a resume that goes back I mean, as far as anybody's, you know, and, you know, he coached for a long time in Europe. So that's a little different element. Also coached in the WHL, coached with Edmonton. 
uh, with the Oilers. Uh, so he's kind of been around a lot of different things. And real, real easygoing guy, very uh, player friendly. You know, but he does he is demanding in his own way, and um, players players love him there. And uh, it's a it's a real good kind of real good feel around that team, right? Like you know, it's a, it's a pretty positive environment for those young prospects. And um, so yeah, setup wise, I don't think you could do any better. Um, there are some great setups in this league. Don't get me wrong, but Henderson is right at the top. Let's talk about Hershey, which has been one of the most impressive organizations in the American Hockey League, not just because of the longevity, but, uh, you know, that agreement that they've had with Washington longstanding. I haven't, it's hard to find an organization that pumps out NHL players like Hershey does in partnership with the Washington Capitals. It's been very impressive, especially the last 15 to 20 years. Just so goaltending wise. Guys yeah. came through there over the year. Uh, Holby, it's, a, it, uh, it's amazing. Varlamov, Noiver, uh, Grubauer, um, you know, uh, Samsonov. Sam like, go uh, on Van- and on. Vanacek. I mean, it, it's, it's Crazy. like one after another. Like, you know, just when they, they, they get one guy off to the NHL, another guy steps in and, you know, it takes his place in Hershey and um, kind of takes that same path. I mean, if, you know, I guess the irony is that none of those guys actually play for the Capitals now. No. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, the, sometimes you're a victim of your own success. But, you know, that 2018 Caps Stanley Cup team, 14 of those players came through Hershey. Um, you know, exactly. And, you know, and, that, and that is where, you know, so like, yeah, obviously. That's a perfect have, example for the, you know, the fans like thinking about their team rebuilding. Go take a look at what Washington did along with Hershey in terms yeah. of you know, their roster construction and how they were developed and the time and the patience necessary to develop those players. That's why Washington, like they've been in the playoffs for, I mean, this will be the first year, may have been, I don't know, 20, you know, 15, 20 years in a row they've been in the playoffs. They Like they weren't going to catch Detroit's run, but boy, that was an impressive run of making to the playoffs. And that's the reason why, because they draft and develop so well. Sure. Yeah. Obviously, you have your core guys, you have your Ovechkin's, your Backstrom's, and such. But you know, even John Carlson came through Hershey, right? Like you know, right. uh, back with their, uh, um, you know, so, so you know, a little background out there. Hershey and, and Washington first got together there in 2005. Well, first five years they were together, they won three cups, uh, three Carter Cups, and they went to another final. Um, that's how you make a quick impression. Bruce Boudreau, uh came through there before he went up to the Caps. Uh, just one player after another churned out. I mean. Uh, it's really never slowed down since uh, they've only missed the playoffs now. Uh, I believe it's twice in their entire time together, going back to 2005, which is just right. incredible. In 18 years, so 16 of the 18 right. years. This league, yeah. you get turnover, and there are so many factors that that work against you, and, and that consistency to have that kind of um, success. I mean, every year, Hershey's in the mix. This year, no different. They're 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 uh, right near the top of the Eastern Conference. Um, Good, uh, good base of uh, veterans. Always that that that's a must in Hershey. Uh, those fans are demanding. Like they want to win, right? Like they like They're development, but they like winning more, right? And so, if, if you're a Caps prospect, you're coming in right off the bat, you know, to the pro game, and you're getting a, an NHL style experience in that in that regard, in terms of pressure and, and, and fan expectations, and um, and really even just the team's expectations, like. You never hear in Hershey, well, we're just here to develop. No, we're here to develop and win. And that winning aspect is a huge part of their their formula in Hershey and Washington. Um, you know, getting those players. Because if you're going up to the Caps, 
you know, for the last 15 years, you've been going to a team that's every year pretty much in the mix. Yeah, you to know, fight so for a, you, they're fighting you for can't a cup. be in a losing environment in Hershey and then somehow come up to the NHL club and and, and flip a switch. Uh, so right off the bat, the, those young prospects they're they're thrown into the fire. There, uh, they really they, they get to they get comfortable with that with with having expectations of winning and and playing within that 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 team success because it is very easy at the development level the development stage for players to just sort of focus on their own game and not put much thought into the team but in Hershey you have to do both and um it's been a great great setup there I mean it's really as good as it gets um anywhere you know the caps are two hours away from Hershey Giant Center is essentially just a scaled down NHL building yes. every night yeah. putting in nine ten thousand fans um they're rowdy. Uh, they, anybody who's ever been to Hershey knows that uh, they're very, they're very vocal, uh, very, uh, very opinionated. Um, and uh, you know, you're playing. Your, your travel setup is great. You know, Lehigh's an hour away. Wilkesbury is an hour and a half away. You know, so you know, development wise, practice wise, everything. You know, the Caps have it there at Hershey. Well, I 100% agree, and I think pressure is a privilege, and I think. Hershey set it up that way, and so is the Washington Capitals. So, uh, Patrick, once again, really appreciate your insight on the American Hockey League and look forward to speaking to you next week. Always a pleasure. Thanks. We're going to take a short break, and we will be back right after this. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are packed and powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're speaking with Mark Kronowit, Executive Director of Silent Ice. And the topic this week is the academy system versus minor hockey. 
Now, I'm looking at it from a parent's perspective because I have kids in minor hockey, but I look at the cost of an academy, particularly in Canada. I think in the States, it's a, a little bit different. And the reason why I say that is our Canadian university costs are not nearly at the same price as the universities in the United States. So for an ex- I'll use an example for the parents in the United States. For my undergrad, my master's, and now I'm taking a PhD, it might cost $90,000 for all three. And there, in some cases, parents are paying fifty dollars to $80,000 a year for their kids. So think about that's the advantage of trying to get their kid a Div 1 scholarship, whether it's a male or a female in the States. So I understand that. Inside of Canada, I don't understand why a parent is paying $20,000, $25,000 a year for that type of academy. Because even if they make it through, say, the Western Hockey League, and say they get drafted, and say they go into the American Hockey League, you know how much money they make in the American Hockey League? You might be making $75,000, $65,000 a year. Like, unless you make the NHL, you're really probably make topping out at one hundred and fifty. So you're going to pay seventy five grand. That doesn't even include any type of university education, unless you end up not going, um, going into the Canadian, taking your college fund from the CHL, and then going that route. So to I, me, that's Mark. I don't understand the value of the academy system versus minor hockey inside of Canada. Well, I think there's a lot to be said, Shane, for the U.S. model. Um, USA Hockey has taken a very progressive and open approach to trying to attract hockey into new regions. Uh, you know, I look at uh, Ryan Smith, who's one of our partners down in Nashville. You know, he was able to go and put together a program for his athletes, and uh, USA Hockey supports that. And what it does is it creates competition down there. Um, and through that competition, what ends up happening is, is you know, you have then essentially price competitiveness where you people need to be offer good value for their products. And then kind of to your point, Shane, you know, when you look at the cost of sending your son to, uh, you know, he thinks he's a or high end prospect or daughter, but sending him to the NCAA school in the US, uh, you know, it's pretty daunting. You know, you're looking at twenty to $30,000 a year or more. Uh, versus in Canada, like you mentioned, uh, it's a lot more reasonable. It's in that ten to fifteen thousand dollar range for a lot of uh, the undergraduate programs. But fundamentally, when you look at kind of the difference between the minor hockey and the academy model, um, you know, there's two different. I, I think there's a third which you kind of need to include. So you've kind of got minor hockey, and then the sanctioned CSSHL or academy-based schools here in Canada. And then over on the right side of that, you have the independent, uh, non-sanctioned uh, uh, prospects leagues like the Junior Prospects Hockey League or the Hockey Super League, which is there and it's quite it's independent and has a different model. You know, when you look at minor hockey specifically, you know, I think they have done a really good job at the lower levels of keeping it accessible to families. And, you know, we think about the programs, you know, you start off when you're five or six years old in your community and you go up through your community, but there's this this inflection point for a lot of athletes where they have to make a decision whether or not they're going to move towards a more elite stream or they want to stay more in a recreational type stream. And when that happens then parents are forced with the choice and it kind of happens at that U14 level yeah, where you got to choose either you're going to go into uh, the triple uh, a type traditional minor hockey system or she can go to the academies now i got to give it to the, the the minor hockey associations they've really done a good job about keeping their costs in line 
And then on the other side of it, you have the, like the CSSHL where you've got, you know, a more integrated type program, but you know, each of those uh, schools are owned individually uh, versus the model, like in the independent junior prospects hockey league, which is owned by the league. And, and you get a lot of different cost benefits from that. So I, I think it is really important to look at costs as being a, a challenge for any elite athlete. So, you know, what do you do um, if you're feeling the pressure as a family uh, you know, you're, you're being told, you know, you need to go to a, a high-end academy, spend $30,000 a year in order to create that opportunity for yourself. But what really is that opportunity and how do you ever see a return on that investment? Absolutely. You know, you make it to the NHL and uh, you sign a pro contract, but even if you sign a pro contract, you might end up in the American hockey league, making American hockey league wages. And now you start looking at that. How does that really make any sense, Shane? It doesn't. It doesn't, it honestly, it doesn't make any sense uh, economically of what your investment is. And I don't, now I haven't done all the research on, on this, but I would be surprised if the probability of the players say when we played, you know, like you go through the eighties and nineties, those players, what the probability of coming out of minor hockey to play in the NHL and the probability of pl playing in minor hockey or the Academy, regardless of what stream you're in and make it to the NHL. I bet you that probability hasn't changed very little. But yeah, the but the cost of that has changed dramatically. Well, and I, I think there's some ways around it. Um, I strongly believe in the vertical integration model, and this is kind of where we're missing. You know, whether it's minor hockey um, or the traditional uh, sanctioned leagues, none of these uh, uh, leagues are integrated into junior programs. And that's where we try to be a little bit different in the independent model. This is where we pick up some of our cost advantages. So, uh, currently, we have three out of our eight hubs are attached to junior A teams uh, in Spruce Grove with the Titans who are attached to the Spruce Grove Saints and uh, the, uh, the Wild out on the coast are attached to the Couch and Valley team. And um, in Kelowna, the Okanagan uh, uh, hub is attached to the West Coast Wild and we're looking to expand into, uh, in, into the um, Vancouver area with a similar type of model. And that's kind of the model that we're heading. And here's what you pick up when you have it. And this is how it affects your costs. You know, if you're able to leverage off of your junior staff, meaning your coaches, your trainers, your assistant coaches, your GM, everybody, your scouting staff, and, and those people are already on that salary and you're able to platoon them in and help support through some of the skills programming, some of those other things that you're only normally able to access through the junior programs and you're able to drive that back down into your prospects which whether it's the CSSHL, uh, the AAA leagues, or the Junior Prospects Hockey League, I think there's a great advantage to that. And what it means is then it makes it more accessible for parents without kind of knocking down the type of skill that you're, uh, the skill development that you're offering to your players. So I really see that as one of the advantages of having the fully integrated program. I see it as the way that it should be in the future. You know, I reflect on where um, I spent some time working in the soccer industry and I look at, you know, how European soccer clubs work and, you know, they are all about vertical integration from the time a kid is five years old, as they move through the system and move up into their programs, you know, the technical director of, uh, of, of a football club will have responsibility from all the way from those five-year-old players. So they're U18, they're U20, U23, they're, and, and, and then their pro team. And it's fully integrated from a pro level not just from a prospect at like a junior type level, it's right into the pro uh, pro team level all the way back down through. And that's how you kind of get this higher level of delivery of uh, skill development and, and, and for, for athletes. And 
through that vertical integration, what you do is you pick up all those cost savings chain. You know, and that certainly makes sense. But also, I think there we may have to reconsider how much more educational advantage can come to these academies. I look at it like I, w- I want to see these athletes be have the top level of academic prowess that you know, it, to the point where teams are beating down their doors, NCAA teams are beating down their doors because every one of these students are maxing out on their SATs and they have the highest level of academic prowess um, in, in including off ice leadership. Like we're, we're in the business of building citizens of leaders, not just hockey players. Yeah. We talk about that all the time with our athletes and with our coaches. And I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, that education side of it, you know, I know that when an Ivy league school, for example, comes to a junior A game, uh, you're the guy from Cornell who's or Brown or Harvard or whatever. And you basically go down the list and you go to the GM and you say, how many of these kids would qualify to come into my program? And you basically cross like, 90% of the list off, which is unfortunate. And it's like, how do we move that, move that more so that more people can access more pro- programs? You know, we've definitely seen some expansion in the U S in the NCAA programs. We're seeing more div one programs come online, which create more opportunities for players. And, you know, I really think it's a good model. If you can go and you can, you know, kind of go through the grassroots type program and then move into something like the junior prospects hockey league, where you're directly tied into a junior a program, by the time you get into that junior A program, if you've got your academics straight, you're, you know, you, you've got a straight line to the NCAA, if you've got the talent and, and the people out there promoting you. And, you know, we've seen that with our junior A Saints club this year, we have like 10 of our guys already committed and um, it's really positive. I think the model's working um, and, and it shows that there is a different way that you can actually come through the system. And, you know, we've talked about it on some of the previous shows that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get to pro hockey and to be a pro- professional prospect. And, and as part of that, what we don't want to do is limit it by your socioeconomic uh, limitations. We want to create opportunities for more athletes to participate at the highest level. And I think that's a responsibility as people who are stewards of the game right now. Well, Mark, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show once again. Really appreciate it and look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, Shane. Have a great week. That's Mark Cronowit, Executive Director for Silent Ice. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back on Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. Uh, We are continuing with our great topic and subject matter this week with Dave Poole and Behind the Curtain. Dave, this week is... The topic is process of hiring hockey operations staff and personnel. So I know you've been in those situations before. I find it a, a fascinating topic, and I've touched base with different people in the industry when they're in that process. Um, I think one of the most dramatic ones I've seen in the past was obviously the Toronto Maple Leafs when Kyle Dubas took over, and it was you know, a lot of personnel changing, and you know that can be very um, – a little bit traumatic for the team when you have a lot of new people coming in and people moving out and just trying to fit all those people together on a team. It's no different than the team on the ice. If you make a lot of changes in an off season or you're bringing in younger players, talk about the process, the hiring process of finding the right people as individuals, but also finding the right skill sets and attributes so that you can find a cohesion and some balance in your group. Well, it's a critical first step. And, and, you know, and to the Toronto situation, Claude Rosell and I were on the other side of that. And so we were right. the last two people removed from that previous organization. Dave Nonis did stay for another year in a support role, but it was Claude Lozell and I that overlapped with Brendan Shanahan for about three months um, and ran that 2014 draft and then, uh, and then did the arbitration and the free agency and that piece of it. And so that was a time of change in my life. And, and certainly you know, I was on the front end of it in 2009 when Brian Burke came into Toronto and was a part of that group with Dave Morrison that hired, you know, some of those pro scouts and amateur scouts. And it was about finding a different group and speaking to the scouting group. You want a balance in there of personalities. And, you know, if you flash forward to the way, let's take the amateur side first. The amateur side and the pro side are very different from each other. On the amateur side, I want you to tell me what a 17-year-old is going to look like in five years or seven years or eight years. And on the pro side, I want you to tell me what he is right now, if there is an upside, and how he can contribute to the exact team that's on the ice right now in your organization. So those are two very different jobs. And it's about when you have an amateur staff, it truly is a staff because you put all these characters And they are characters, Shane, from around the world into a room. And, you know, they have their lists from their respective areas, geographical areas. And just think about that to start with. You're putting, you know, a Swedish scout together, a Finnish scout together. Um, You have somebody from Czechia, potentially. And, And then we had someone from Russia as well. 
and maybe a head European scout, but then you've got the U S side. So it's college hockey. It's, you know, it's prep school hockey in new England, which is very different from the junior leagues in the U S the USHL, the North American hockey league, and then go into Canada. And even within Canada, differences from the West into the Ontario hockey league and then into Quebec. And we had to hire a couple of scouts and, and Dave Morrison, you know, we, we relied on his experience to go back into, and this is, this is the interesting part because I always emphasize to people, if you're in a room and it's filled with hockey people, there's a great chance at some point you're going to be working with someone or working around someone in that room who you're not currently working with right now. And you're always making an impression. So be you above all. And that's what, you know, if I'm giving advice to young people, I, I'm telling them to be themselves because ultimately that's who they're going to have to be. And, and then the ultimate, you're looking for people willing to do the work. It's a very tough job and it's an all consuming job. It doesn't leave you when you go home after a game. It simply doesn't. Um, I was fascinated with the reporting system. I would get up first thing in the morning and read reports and I'd read reports coming in from all over. And even the style of reports, I didn't want a cookie cutter report chain that said, you know, that picked buzzwords out. I wanted your impression of what you saw and how that could impact our hockey team. And so I think, you know, we had a, a very good group in Toronto when I was there, a very talented group. Dave Morrison was the leader. He has gone from the director of scouting onto the pro side now, but he did a lot of amateur work and watching players grow up through an organization. So, um, you want an eclectic group. You want a group that's willing to speak their mind. If you get everyone of a like opinion, then, then you're, you're so in a used. vacuum. You are. If I'm in a room and everyone's telling me what I already know, then what good does that do me? And, and you know, so I, I think that's the important part about being yourself and understanding. And maybe you're not a fit for an organization. You know, if you're interviewing for a position, and you sense that they want something or need something totally different than you are, then why would you be interested in the job? It doesn't make sense. And, you know, and, and I understand people have to work, but you've also got to be you when you do work. And I think that's very important. Thoughts on, you, you know, you touched on the amateur and pro staff, but there's also the player development department. There is the American League franchise of, you know, who's going to be the assistant general manager there. He has to work directly with player development. They have to work directly if they have a human performance department, uh, you know, your mental coaches, all of that has to be interwoven. Talk about that aspect of the hockey operations department in terms of trying to fill out and choose and hire those types of personnel as well. The off ice part has grown immensely in the last 12 or 15 years. It simply has the performance coach aspect of it. You know, the, the, and, you know, maybe the most important part, and this will sound crazy from a hockey standpoint, are the training group and, you know, the, the, the medical training group and being able to keep players on the ice and do it in the proper fashion, the coordination with the medical department, all integral in success. But the minor league system now is so important, the draft and development aspect of it. And because you have to have entry level contracts constantly entering your team because of the price point, because of the hard salary cap, and you have to have a development structure. And the balance between winning at the American League level 
and producing players at the American League level is a very challenging one because you want your young players in a winning environment. And yet you can't do it at the expense of not developing players. So you've got a big face-off to take in the defensive zone. Do you put out a 31-year-old who you know is going to win it in the American League? Or do you put out a 21-year-old who has a great chance of losing it but needs that experience? And so you've got to have the right coaches in place that are willing, in a sense, to sacrifice their win-loss record. And that's tough because they're going to be evaluated on their win-loss record. And, you know, you might say, well... Is that fair, though? I mean, within an organizational philosophy. It's not fair, but it's real. If you look at coaches that get elevated, they're like, well, he won in the American League. Okay. One with one. Um, exactly. You know, it, you know, and you look at different types of teams in the American League. And, you know, take an example. It's an independently owned franchise, so it's fair to talk about it. It's the Chicago Wolves. I mean, they're built with, you know, with the, the veteran rule. They'll keep an excess of veterans there and rotate them in and out at their own cost in order to win. And that's fine. And that's the market. And that's fine. And that's their prerogative. But if you're putting development prospects in there, where do they fit into that? And how is the coach evaluated? And it's really tough to be an American League coach with an organization in a growth arc because you're expected you're going to get a host of young players because the draft numbers are high. You're going to get a host of young players and you're going to get the challenge to develop them. And you're going to say, well, wait a second. I want to develop them within a winning environment. That's the balance. So you do need the right mix of veterans in that room because you want your young guys learning from them. So, you know, from a standpoint of, of sports science, so important right now, nutrition, all of those different aspects. You know, if you think about your sports psychologist, it used to be a standalone position. It's not now um, because of the different personalities you have to work with and, you know, the different areas and, and different steps that that area has taken, even in terms of sensitivity to, you know, various situations off of course. the ice. It's huge right now. It's absolutely enormous. And the goal is to put the player in the right environment, even to walk into the room. You know, you'll walk into a pro room now, and a lot of them put monitors on, heart monitors and burn rate monitors. And immediately when they walk into a room, and it's all digested as part of sports science. And things that we didn't have when I was a player. I mean, I've been out of playing now for you know close to 30 years, and which is crazy to think of. And it's very, very different. But you have to have, above all, you have to have talented people that you trust and you have to let them do their job, Shane. You have to. And it, it's too wide a variety of, of positions and different variations within the sport. You know, and, and I know you'll get the argument old school. There's always a place for old school. And you know, some of the great veteran scouts you would sit beside in a press That's box. How I that learned. I would, that's Absolutely. how I learned. Absolutely. You know, you work with veterans. I learned so much from some of the veteran guys I work with in the industry. And and guys like, and, and we've talked about them off air, guys like Mike Penny, I work with closely in Toronto. You know, how can you not learn from a Mike Penny and the experiences he's had? And those guys are cagey because they've adjusted more than they'll even let on to the current day. You know, they'll play the old school card, but you know darn well in order to survive in this industry, they've made adjustments in the way they look at things and the way they do things. A hundred percent. Dave, I want to thank you uh, once again for coming on our show. Great insight in, in that topic and look forward to speaking to you next week.
This has been another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. You can listen to the show on your favorite podcast network or on YouTube and follow us on Twitter at HP Radio and at HockeyProspectRadio.com. Thank you to all our guests, and we will see you at the rink.